Hello, product innovators. Today we learn from a two-time manufacturing author on bringing back manufacturing for hardware startups. You're listening to the Product Startup Podcast, the show that helps bring your product idea to life by chatting with successful inventors, product developers, manufacturers, and hardware industry professionals. Our goal here is to get to the bottom of what makes a product successful, from initial idea to getting your product on store shelves. We're taking you step-by-step to build a functional product and scale your product business. Hosted by Kevin Mako, one of North America's leading experts experts on hardware development for small product businesses. Now, onto the show. Welcome back everyone. Today I'm very excited to introduce Nigel Southway to the show. Nigel is the author of two books. The most recent is called Take Back Manufacturing and his original was called Lean Manufacturing back in 1992. He has spent 55 years in the manufacturing space. He was also the chair of the chapter of Society of Manufacturing Engineers, which I was also part of starting over 10 years ago. Today, Nigel is going to share some valuable knowledge on how inventors, startups, and small manufacturers can decide between offshore and onshore manufacturing, what the pros and cons are for each choice, explain short-run manufacturing for new products, and how we can bring back manufacturing to local communities. Now, on to the episode. Hey, Nigel, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me. Very excited to talk to you about local manufacturing for new invention ideas today. It's great to see you again. It's been over 10 years since I last saw you. You invited me into the Society of Manufacturing Engineers to give a talk, and I've seen you do talks there. Great work that you do. You've been in the industry for 55 years, starting in Uh, aerospace. Amazing. I I may be old, but I'm still vital. (laughs) Well, and of course, you're the author of the big book that just came out, Take Back Manufacturing, which is a great topic, but it's really key, I think, for startups, inventors, scale-ups, anybody in the hardware industry that's looking to develop a product and sell it in North America. This is key because we're talking about actually starting to produce your product locally, possibly even continuing to produce your product locally, and some of the pros and cons around that. So we'll dig into that today. First and foremost, give us a bit of your background from 55 years ago to today. How did you get to where you are now? Well, you can tell by my accent, I wasn't born in Canada. I grew up in Bristol, England, and I was an apprentice from the age of 16 at the British Aerospace Corporation. So I worked on Concorde and communication satellites, and I came to Canada actually to work in the aerospace industry in about the late 70s. As a senior engineer, I'd already worked in, in, on various programs, and I worked on the ANIC C satellites, communication satellites for Canada, and then also the some components for the space shuttle arm, for the manipulator arm for the space shuttle. And then I moved to Motorola, and I, I think the, the most important part in, in the 1980s, I was at Motorola as a director of manufacturing engineering. So I'm a manufacturing engineer. We were doing a lot of stuff in electronics then that was different. You know, we this is the sort of decade where manufacturing changed from batch to just in time and one-offs and a lot of new technology and concepts. And I was in the room when Six Sigma was invented. It was exciting times in the 80s to be in a corporation like that. And then I escaped as a consultant with two guys from Hewlett Packard and we started our consulting practice talking about what became lean manufacturing. And then I wrote a book in 92 on lean manufacturing, which is an old book that's out there. So this is my second book. Uh, But, you know, having had a very, very exciting career as a consultant, I was in China for actually five years moving product to China. I came back and was horrified, but I'd been part of to see the hollowing out of our manufacturing base. We got together in in the Society of Manufacturing Engineering chapter and talked it up and decided that we should take it back. And so that was the genesis for Take Back Manufacturing. So this book is really a collection of thoughts and ideas from 2011 onwards. And that's where we met, Kev. 
seven in that chapter meeting, one of yeah, those chapter right. meetings. And so that's my history. I've, I've had a great time in manufacturing. I've done a lot of new products. I've launched a lot of new technologies into manufacturing as a manufacturing engineer. It's disappointing that we've lost so much ground in manufacturing locally. And quite frankly, we need it back if we're going to be competitive in new products, because you need a strong manufacturing base and all of the infrastructure that goes with it if you're going to incubate new products properly. You can make anything work, but that's not really the best choice. Yeah, you can add new technology for rapid prototyping, but TBM is about putting back our manufacturing base and having the right to, to own products. In, in our backyard. That's it's great to see that there's so much technology that is enabling some of this capabilities, not only of doing the design, engineering, and prototyping, but getting right. into short batch manufacturing and then even beyond to actual sustainable, profitable manufacturing. Yeah, it's very mobile. I mean, manufacturing is mobile, services are mobile, new technology is mobile. It's a question of whether you want to continue to globalize your thoughts, whether you want to have a localized capability to produce your products. I mean, we've all done it. We've all gone offshore for manufacturing. It does work, but is there a better way? And is there a better way for our economics? Is it better for the next generation to have an integrated economy of manufacturing resources and services? That's my take. And this is where it's critical, especially as a new hardware developer, somebody who's about to take that leap from you've finished all your engineering, you've gone through your prototyping rounds, you've got a great product you're ready to produce, to carefully consider what options are better for you? Is offshore the right option? Is onshore the right option or potentially a hybrid between those two? And one of the things that is quite common in this day and age is most people automatically assume that offshore is the de facto methodology without even taking the time to look carefully at the numbers, which is something you're a big proponent of. In the book, I describe the the science of supply chains and and why long supply chains are wasteful and non-lean and why short supply chains are better. Obviously, that's what the book's about. It's not just we need manufacturing back. I didn't call it welcome back manufacturing. I called it take back manufacturing for a reason. So what you got to do is say, okay, we we get it. We understand that long supply chains are more wasteful. How do we participate with that? You look at the technologies today. There is a lot of technology for rapid prototyping, 3D printing, computerization of the design process helps you with that. But after you've got the product developed and made a prototype one-off somehow, how do you commercialize it? How do you get all the parts and supply together and become competitive? How do you make sure you can make the product work without into the market, without a lot of inventory, a lot of lead time, and with all the things that go wrong with a long supply chain? Wouldn't it be better if you run the numbers and prove to yourself, question yourself as to whether you should go offshore by running the numbers? There's plenty of tools out there to take a look at the supply chain. Plus, don't assume that the only supply chain available is offshore. In the next probably five years, there'll be a lot of capability in some sectors for localizing manufacturing. It's like, don't assume offshore is the only answer. Don't assume, assume that it's the cheapest way to go. Things are changing. The US are aggressively pursuing reshoring. Canada's slower at it, which I'll talk about in the book. But the hope is that in the next generation of product, probably five years, you would be probably enjoying at least your first two years of production locally and only going offshore, not because you need cheaper manufacturing, but because your product's selling in that market. That's the point. You may go offshore for a different reason. You want to localize manufacturing in their country. That's a good reason for going offshore, to be close to the customer. 
But well, let's talk about some of those pros and cons, particularly the cost, because a lot of people when they're looking at manufacturing, they focus so aggressively on unit cost, $1 versus $1.50. Okay. I want the dollar unit yeah, offshore, yeah. but there's a lot of hidden costs, both direct and indirect that aren't considered by a new manufacturer when doing this debate between offshore and onshore. What are some of those tactical indirect costs that you should really be factoring into your calculation. And we can then talk about some of the benefits down the road because there's also some not only direct, but indirect benefits of localizing too. So let's start with the cost, then we'll move on to benefits. Okay, historically, the buyer would have looked at the price, the acquisition price from the supplier. But when you add up the transportation costs, the tariffs, the support costs, the inventory costs, just the general issues with adding more inventory because you've got to because of the long lead times, and also the confidence that that supply chain is secure and reliable. When you put that into a math model, which we've got, we've got balanced sourcing models that we mentioned in the book. I introduce you to some people that are good at this stuff by showing some examples. When you run those numbers, it doesn't make sense to go offshore for quite a few commodities. And so that's the, the message. You must run the numbers. You must embrace the options because if you've got a product with a low labor content, and by the way, if you do industry 4.0, if industry 4.0 is undertaken, the labor content will go down. Therefore, the interest in going to a low cost labor country diminishes. There's no percentage anymore in going offshore because if you're chasing low labor cost and you've already eliminated it with automation, why would you do that? So when you run these numbers and factor in industry 4.0 into your calculations, as we have done, that's why TBM is going to make sense because the future holds no barrier for reshoring. And those are fairly direct costs. These are costs you probably have to put on your balance sheet. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So you then you also have to think, there are some indirect costs as well. There are complexities with dealing with offshore in a number of different ways. Just even well, factor in, think of yeah. parts replacements. If something goes wrong with one element of your product, how long is it going to take you to fix that issue, to change those items, to modify that? What other issues or unforeseen things do you deal oh, with? What we, legal we, issues do you deal with? We've gone offshore. I was at the other end of a long pipeline. I was in Shanghai for five years. I flew parts. It cost a fortune, but we got the parts to the customer. Yeah, we've done it many times too. Right? <laughs> we've all done it. We've had to work uh, all kinds of hours and pay extra for a premium build offshore. The Chinese love that. They make money doing that stuff. So no problem with doing offshore. It can be done, but it's expensive and it will continue to get expensive. You have to fly people out. You have to talk in a different language. You're in a different time zone. It goes on and on. The other thing too, is that those costs over time are also rising because as a global network gets tighter and as more is getting shipped, what is happening in China in particular is that the labor costs that used to be fairly inexpensive continue to creep up over and over. So what may start as advantageous by a few percent actually starts over time tilting the scale, but by then you're too heavily invested. You've already got that in place. So now it's actually becoming in a direct cost basis, more expensive, potentially overseas, if those costs are rising continually, whereas local and onshore could have actually been a better option if you had planned out a five or a 10-year model, as opposed to just looking at your next order that was coming through. I got to tell you that that's your direct opportunity cost, but you take a look at it from an economics point of view, you may not have an option as a manufacturing user because tariffs are going to go up. I mean, the government's got to employ people. It's got to stop this massive amounts of imports that they have to pay for. If you look at it in a macro level, the economists, the politicians will take care of it for you. You won't have a choice. You're going to have to come home because those tariffs are going to kill that math model I've just described. So not only does it make sense 
from a business point of view, it's beginning to make sense from an economics and a, and a political national point of view. You put those two components together, one you've got a choice on, one you don't, you've got to take a hard look and you've got to support your local suppliers. The other thing is that we all have a responsibility if we're serious about this to build a local community of manufacturing. I'm not saying you should lose your shirt on it, but it's a consideration. So there's going to be a lot of capacity added locally. For example, semiconductor industry is already biting the bullet. They're moving back. Okay, not just strategically, but practically as well. There's a lot of industries that are bringing and reshoring all the white products in GE are going back. They're not coming to Canada. They're probably going to the southern states and Mexico. But if you look at it from a USMCA point of view, it's going to be a, a reversal of offshoring. Well, let's uh, talk about sense. some of the opportunities with local because there's quite a few. Big time. Anything where it's closer to the customer and it's custom is going to come back. After all, we like custom product. We like things that are tuned to our particular needs. Metal parts, furniture, kitchens. I mean, all the kitchens are made locally more and more than they were before. There are very few kitchen components. I mean, units are now made offshore. All the components come in as items, as components, and they're assembled. And I've just been through that with a very large supplier. So you're going to see a lot of what you would call custom product immediately be reshored. Because if you put CAD into the picture and you put Industry 4 in the picture, your lead times are going to be days, not weeks. Never mind about a month or two going offshore. So people want it now. They've got a short window of, of expectation. So anything that's custom, even in the automotive industry, there'll be some stuff that's custom that you'll get locally. Well, I like that you mentioned time as well. Very quick to communicate, same time zone, easy to ship things or move things around, easy to visit the factory or vice versa if necessary, okay. easy to bring the engineering team in with the manufacturing engineering team in with the inventor. So if you're a hardware startup out there, you've got to consider these elements that come together to help you get off the ground. And one of the big things that I've talked about on the show, I'm a huge fan of, to me, it's one of the big major tips of the, the spears of taking back manufacturing, but it's short run production. And this is really a big emerging industry, especially for a hardware startup, because that's the link between a well-designed, well-engineered, well-prototyped product and commercialization short yeah. run manufacturing. And there's a huge amount of benefits to that. First of all, you're starting with a small run, let's say 100 to 500 units of your gadget or invention or whatever else, which is great to get to market. It won't be overly profitable in the beginning because this is your first run, but it doesn't matter because what you're doing there is you're building your feedback loop. You're getting some product to market, testing a certain piece of the community, the market in a very, very small way, getting real people to buy the card, and give you real feedback. This is where you start to actually bring in a bit of agile product development into hardware, which right. has traditionally been tool something up for 10 years and, and, and hope and, it works. And, and if you want to cycle the design because you've, you've learned some stuff from the market, you're more able to do that. Absolutely. And you've got a, a long supply chain full of parts that have already, you probably would like to change. So yeah, flexibility. Obviously, here's the deal. It's flexibility, less inventory, shorter lead time intrinsically. The only thing is you have to work with local suppliers, run the numbers and make sure that you're not going to die too much on cost, but you won't as things go by because the economics is going to take care of that. Tariffs, and when you run the numbers, you'll be surprised. Let's be real clear. The difference between onshore and offshore in most technologies is only about 10 points. When you add up all the costs, the only difference anyway is 10 points. It doesn't take long for that to swing the other way. 
You only need to do a bad job offshore and do a better job onshore. You've got to that tipping point. You're not double digits even. They can be less than double digits. So it's not hard to see. It's easy to make the decision once you understand the numbers. And you may even say it's a little bit more expensive on paper offshore, but it feels better to do it locally. I get more from it. I've got more flexibility, which is hard to quantify. And I'm not investing in over a longer period of time. I've got more business flexibility, not just manufacturing flexibility. That's well, and you're leading sells. to the topic of marketing as well. You've got to factor sure. that into your equation too. How does this feel good product weigh into the perceived brand value, the perceived brand equity that you have? Made in Canada, made in the US. I mean, people are getting more sensitized to that. But obviously, if it's half the price to go offshore, they'll go there. But if it's a small differential and if it's now they can get it, their hands on it, they will go, oh, look at the label. It's made here. That's going to be politically aware. There's a lot more political awareness about things like climate change, sustainability, safety, welfare. We're getting much more aware as as consumers. And that label made here is going to help sell it too. There's so much power in at least starting production or at least doing parts of your production locally, not only for short run, but many of the things that we've talked about here. And the point with this discussion isn't necessarily to say in a de facto scenario that local is for sure going to be the better choice than offshore. But I think the big picture here is that you've got to consider both options carefully. At a minimum, you should be spending the effort, not just automatically jumping to a certain conclusion to look at both options and see what weighs in. Like I said, in the original part of the call, it may end up being even a hybrid. Whereas you realize, okay, certain pieces, there's no way it can be cost competitive onshore. Okay, let's get those, but let's do these other parts of the product onshore might be assembly, might be certain pieces of the project, whatever it might be and have that kind of hybrid approach. But the key is you might as well start local. You might as well start short run. You should not be focusing on profits as a startup in any case on the unit costs. You are trying to build equity in your product, trying to build technology, equity, a client base, and brand recognition. These things are absolutely critical in order to launch a new product. Profit margins on your first product run are probably the least or one of the lowest priorities. Of course, you want to eventually build a plan that that yields that at the end of the day. But we take a lot of this from tech. Look at how many tech firms we know that were worth billions of dollars before they even started turning a profit. And many of those are still on the road to profitability. People want to invest in the technology, the infrastructure, the quality of the product, the intellectual property, all these sorts of things to have the product where it needs to be as quickly as possible and as of a high quality as possible to the right market segment as opposed to worrying about nickel and diming every production run. You mentioned intellectual property. That's a consideration. You can factor it into the numbers too. But yeah, you you raise all the points that take-back manufacturing offers. The biggest thing is that if we look at the future, we look at our economy and we look at our businesses in the economy, we need more autonomy. We need to be more capable than we are. We're losing capability. We're, We're destroying our ability to actually do these products. It's not just about optimizing what you do. It's about maybe being capable of what you're doing. And that's what concerns me. If you want the right to develop products, then you need the capability of being able to manufacture it as well. Let's talk big picture before I let you go, because I know you deal with this on a very macro level as well as the micro that we've talked about on this show. Talk about take back manufacturing and what you think we need to be focusing on to really do a great job of getting the trend in the right direction over the next five to 10 years. 
Well, I would say this book is an advocacy book. It doesn't pull any punches. It talks about everything we've just talked about, but it also explains the things that everybody needs to do differently. So it talks about what do we want our government to do differently? What kind of industrial policies do we want to see? That's one. The second thing we got to do is we got to look at our educational system differently and make sure it's aligned with the needs of manufacturing. It's not right now. It's very siloed, very inefficient. I was enjoying an apprenticeship in the 60s. I wish we had that back, quite frankly. So there's a lot the educationists need to do. I was teaching for six years at Sheridan, a local college. I understand the issues. So manufacturing, educational system rather needs to be very, very organized for manufacturing and very integrated, which government can also help with. And the third thing is manufacturing itself and the people to interface with manufacturing. And you've got to get up there with running the numbers, making sure basically it's got to be a package of thought. We got to run the numbers, have the right culture and use the right technology, whether it's lean and industry four and being able to run the supply chain numbers that I've described. So we need to build that environment. Government, the educational system, and manufacturing all working close together. If you go to China and talk to the government there, unfortunately, they get it. I've toured the plant with senior people from the Chinese government. They get it. They can talk manufacturing. They understand what's going on. And they put those three things together. Our government needs to wake up and understand manufacturing is part of this economy. And the manufacturers need to talk that up. That's the high level. Three things. Policy, education, manufacturing excellence. Those are three things that will bring it back. Well, Nigel, those are uh, three great things. I appreciate you pushing hard on with your book and with all the things you're doing to try and enable the manufacturing sector, especially important for startups and small businesses that are developing those new products and need the capabilities locally to be able to very quickly execute on these ideas a lot of the time, whether it's time or budget, these things are valuable when you can do it in your own backyard. Absolutely. And it's really great to see. I, I mean, I can tell you, I'm in multiple talks with multiple facilities through our design firm. We're working with all kinds of different local manufacturers for all kinds of different things. And there are multiple different 10 to $100 million plus facilities that are being built exclusively for the concept of either really quick, efficient, or very modern prototyping methodologies or materials, et cetera, but even further pushing it into getting into production. How do we actually produce using a combination of technology and very advanced uh, methodologies and processes that over the many years of experience, how do we do that to re-enable that ingenuity to be able to develop a lot of these things right in our backyard? So it's happening. I know the momentum is going that direction, but much appreciated for you to be working to accelerate that and to really bring it all home and bring it all together. So Nigel, thanks again for your time today and uh, really appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the book. Thanks. Take care. And oh, for anyone who's uh, listening as well, of course, I'll put all the show notes into the actual episode notes of the episode. I'm going to put a link to Nigel's book as well, Take Back Manufacturing, so you can order your own copy and take a look at it there. Uh, again, Nigel, thanks and take care. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Product Startup Podcast, the show that teaches you what it really takes to bring your product to market and turn it into a big success. This podcast series is brought to you by Maco Design and Invent, the original and leading firm in North America to provide global caliber end-to-end physical consumer product development to startups, inventors, and small product business clients. If you're looking for product development help on your invention, head over to macodesign.com that's m-a-k-o design.com for a free consultation from one of maco designs for design studios from coast to coast thanks for listening and see you next time